All right, hey, good to worship together with everyone here and uh, to uh, go through this uh, wonderful series of messages. I'm going to just tighten this here um, together. All right, well, I don't know where it's loose, but that's. Okay, so it's not moving, hopefully. All right, well, so uh, it's great to, like I said, worship together in this way. You know, um, uh, this idea of living well or walking with God, uh, the first, and I love James because the first topic he talks about is trials. So um, it's not a list of, well, you should pray more or you should do this or you should do that, but it just starts with trials, right? And last week we went over this idea of considering it pure joy. Uh, so this thought that no one else would naturally conclude to in their own human minds that trials equal uh, some form of joy for my life. But he starts with that because God is in the solution of our lives. God is in the midst of our uh, trials, right? And so we, we deal with this in this way and how to struggle. Well, where, where should we go? How should we approach God in these things? And we're going to talk about those two questions today. I remember three years ago, uh, we had our uh, Easter service, and I remember it was all joint up at Brea, uh, the community center there. And uh, after our 930 service, uh, we had a guest who came that day, and she had just the week before uh, lost her husband. And he passed away. And uh, friends of theirs who were attending our church, connected me with her briefly via email, um, and then invited her to church. So 9:30, you know, we got done with the baptisms and the preaching, and it's obviously a, a, a very exciting day, right? And got to talk about Christ and. Um, I don't remember exactly what I preached on, and I'm assuming you probably don't remember. You know, it's three years ago, right? And uh, um, and everyone's running out to the Easter egg hunt and going to go eat the burgers and the burritos and all the food that was out there. And then um, I sat down with her. She uh, came up and said, I'm at church. And we sat. I got to just barely know her name. What do you talk about at a time like this? And I just heard her out. We talked for an hour, right? Uh, it was just me and her on the side of the worship room just talking. No words to console. Um, nothing that is going to, that I can do. Um, but we prayed together. Um, tried to encourage her. And I was thinking, you know, and I remember at that moment, it was this kind of weird, like surreal moment because I was talking about death and resurrection and life and hope and all these good things that uh, I was, you know, uh, we were preaching on. And, and then I'm like, this is life and death. Like, how can I encourage this person? Um, and it was pointing them back to Christ, right, who is our um, strength, who is our everything. And we look at this passage today. And uh, we learn several things. You know, it's George Woodfield who talks about uh, trials, and he says there's, uh, all trials are for two ends or two purposes, right? Uh, that we may be better acquainted with the Lord Jesus and better acquainted with our own hearts. And so uh, when a trial comes our way, you know, the, really the gift that nobody wants, so when this trial comes our way, it helps us to know Christ better. It helps us to know ourselves better. 
And we focus on that in this way. You know, uh, Psalm 119, verse 71, the psalmist says, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. This is, you've all experienced this, I'm sure. But in, when you are down and out and going through the hardships, those are the times these scriptures come alive. Those are the times that the character of God becomes real. Those are the times that we seek him more. And so we, we notice that here and what we look in our passage today as we continue this whole theme as it started in the beginning of chapter one with this idea of trials of many kinds, it continues and it tells us here, James tells us why we could face it. Um, and then what are we supposed to do about it and uh, uh, how we ought to live, right? And uh, kind of th those three questions, right? Why can Christians face trials with victory? We look to God and he is our ultimate answer, right? Uh, it's interesting in chapter 1, verse 9, 10, 11, I'm kind of going backwards here on our text. But in there, there, is, there are two groups of people who are mentioned, the lowly and the rich, so just by seeing that it's rich, we're talking about poor and the rich. And it's talking about the poor and the rich of this world, the poor and rich in faith. And I think James points to them in this context, not simply uh, just on another topic about the rich and the poor on their own, but in the context of suffering that we all suffer. And so the poor suffer, and the poor will look to the rich and say, boy, if I could only have what they have, if I had the income they had, or if I lived where they lived, or if I had the security they had, my life would be so good. And there is some truth to that. But also, it is the rich who struggle as well. I would even argue that it's those who are very rich, who have more headaches in life. How am I gonna deal with this? Who am I gonna help? What am I gonna spend it on? What does the forecast look like? What does the economy look like? and the headaches of all of that, of all the people that work under me, right? What does that look like? And how difficult is that? So uh, he's saying for the both groups, Christ is your final answer. For the poor, it tells us in verse nine, the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation. The word exaltation is the same word to describe Christ's exaltation to heaven. Uh, to the Father's side. It's the idea that you have a position in Christ already. And so whatever you face here, whatever hardships you have, whatever you are lacking here, mm, positionally, he's exalted you, he's lifted you up. But what the gospel also does is it takes those who are rich in this world and it now humbles them. Humbles them to a point where you say, boy, my significance does not come from my wealth. My significance does not come from my achievements. My ultimate significance comes from the Lord. And when it's all said and done, as I was born empty-handed into this world, I will approach God empty-handed, and he will ask, why should I accept you when you both come here empty-handed? And uh, we will approach him because of what Christ has done for us. Uh, you know, the, the headaches of the rich, you know, the... Uh, J. Paul, the Getty Museum that we all are very familiar with and a lot of you know about the story of his wealth, this tycoon who had so much money that one of his grandsons in Italy, uh, he was in, in Italy with his father, uh, the grandson who was 16 at the time gets kidnapped for ransom. 
And so uh, the kidnappers take him and they want $17 million for the return of their son or grandson safe. So they contact the mother. At this point, the mother is already separated from the father and says, well, I'm divorced. I have no money. You need to go talk to the dad. So they go talk to the dad. The dad says, okay, let me go talk to grandpa, the real tycoon where the money is. And it's interesting because the response of J. Paul Getty was this. He says to him, um, and, and, you know, that I, I can't give you anything because if I give you guys something, then all my grandchildren will be kidnapped and I'll have no, no more money. So he responds by saying no. Um, and there was a lot of speculation. Maybe the grandson, this was a hoax. He just wanted money. So they threatened, they said, well, we will um, do some harm to him, and if you don't do it, if you don't pay the 17 million, and eventually they cut off of uh, his year and a lock of his hair, and they send it to the main newspaper in Rome. And so they published this. We have his hair, we have his ear, you know, and they say they're gonna do more harm. And so now they are put in a position where they have to now pay this ransom. It's interesting that from 17 million, J. Paul Getty somehow figures how to get it down to 3 million. And I don't know what that conversation was like. But maybe you told, you know, he is not my favorite grandchild, you know. I have this granddaughter. She is so sweet. And for her, 17. For him, one. Okay, three. Okay, maybe three. Right? They get down to three. He ends up giving only 2.2 because only 2.2 was tax deductible at the time. Can you believe that? So he gives 2.2, the grandfather does, and makes the son, who is the father of the one that's kidnapped, pay the rest. He doesn't have the 800,000. He has to go and get a loan from grandpa, and grandpa charges him 4% interest for the 800,000, and they pay him. And he is returned. There's pictures of this on the internet, and you can see this if you wanted. But they return him, and he is uh, disfigured, and he is uh, uh, beat up pretty bad, and he is returned to the family. The mother says, You should call your grandpa to thank him. Gra grandpa never answers the phone. Uh, the rich, he says, will have their day of humiliation uh, where they were resting on the things that they had and the hardships that they have, but they will all just kind of be leveled out by Christ. We were born with nothing, we will approach him with nothing. And in that, he says, the rich have trials, the poor have trials, and this is how you ought to live, right? What are we supposed to do in our trials? You can imagine if someone who is poor, who is facing trials of their own, might be tempted to steal or do something in that way. Or you can imagine the rich who is facing a trial of their own and might be tempted to use their power to force someone to do something. But he says, no, as a Christian, what are you supposed to do? And this is the practical question of the day. What are we supposed to do? He says, we are supposed to go to God for wisdom. We are supposed to go to God and ask God, what should I do? This is wisdom. Uh, you see in chapter one, verse five, so we're kind of going back up now to the beginning of our reading. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. If any of you lacks wisdom, you know, uh, knowledge or information is plenty out there, but wisdom isn't. Today we have access to all sorts of trivia, 
all sorts of knowledge and you can figure out when what happened and how tall was this guy and how many wins did the Lakers have this season or whatever it is. You can go on Google and ask, but that is not wisdom. Wisdom is to know what the right thing is. And he says it ultimately comes from God. And the wisdom he gives to us is often very contrary to the wisdom we think is correct. You know, it's in Proverbs 28, 26, it says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. You know how many blind spots we have in our lives? And sometimes we think, boy, this is the right way to do things, and I think I will do it this way. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. And I love this quote from J.I. Packard, uh, speaking of how we ought to get wisdom from God, and it says this, right? Not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. And I love that phrase. Acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. Trials come our way, someone hurts us, we wanna go fight back. Someone slanders us, we wanna go slander them back. Uh, someone sues us, we wanna sue them back. Um, some, we are hurt by circumstances, we wanna be more destructive and we run to the bottle or drugs or whatever it is and we say, I'm just gonna forget all of these things. We're told to go to God. We're told that he'll tell us what to do, that he gives us wisdom. This is the practical stuff. Wisdom is knowing how to respond to something. And so we go to him. And the answers he often gives us are very different than what our natural or our first thoughts might have been. So we go to God and he tells us what to do. Before we go to anyone else, before we go uh, to our own minds, we go to God. This makes us pray, obviously. This makes us go to the scriptures. Um, please don't be the person who doesn't go to the scriptures, but yet in your own mind say, well, I think God would do this. And we, I, I've talked to a lot of people who have thrown their own kind of false idol towards God. Well, I think God is like this. I think God would be okay. I think God would want me to act this way. I think God will still you know, condone what I do. No, we gotta go to his word and we say, oh God, you give me some wisdom. So what do we do? We go to God, all right? And secondly, how should we live? How should we approach him when we go to him? We go to him with faith, complete faith, undivided faith, a singular faith towards him. It's interesting, uh, just going back to verse five, it says that um, God gives wisdom generously, right? It says that word generously there, right? Excuse me. Uh, he gives generously. That word in the original language is the word single. He, he gives us a, a, a single thing. It's like one thing he gives us. And so you say, how do you, you know, translate this? And the ESV has done a good job of understanding what it meant. It meant the idea of he gives us um, wisdom that is undivided. He gives us 100%, that's the idea. He gives us what's best, he gives us the one answer that we need. 
Um, verses often we look at verse 6 and verse 8 verse 8 talks about a double minded man verse 6 says let him uh, ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind right Uh, so the picture is God comes to us in a single focus he says but we have sometimes a double mind We may listen through this year, but our other year is listening to others. We may have our one eye on him, we think, while our other eye is on the waves and the storms that hit us. So to trust him. It's interesting, the waves that come, that's described here. It says the waves that are uh, driven, right? The waves go whichever the wind pushes it. And so the waves will go to the east or to the west, and the white caps will show. And then also, as the winds hit from different directions, the waves, secondly, it says it's tossed. It's, it's idea, it goes vertical. So you're getting thrown around left and right, up and down. You're being, uh, going through a difficult time in this way. And he says, uh, hold fast, come to him with faith. Trust him completely. Don't make your prayers, God, I hope you can do this. God, are you there? Um, God, you know, I'm not sure if you can hear me. No, make your prayers one of faith. God, I know what you have is best for me. God, help me to rest in your presence in the midst of this storm in my life. God, help me to trust. You know, there's a uh, little video that was taped in 1979 of this tugboat. And this tugboat uh, was going um, against the stream, against the current um, in the Tapingbe River in Alabama. And it's a, you could see it um, on YouTube in different places, but the current is just going down. And this tugboat has 1,600 horsepower. It's used to pull boats that are a lot bigger. Obviously, and so the tugboat makes the drop and is trying to now go upstream and avoid the middle part where the current is going. And um, the person driving the boat accidentally turns it in a little too much and gets caught in the current. And so this boat is fighting. All 1,600 horsepowers are fighting against the current, has no chance. And as it's getting pushed back, there's this big bridge. And the water is so high that it is hitting going over the road of the bridge and this tugboat eventually goes and gets swallowed under, right? But the remarkable thing is that it pops back up right away. And it pops back up, it's uh, in the right side up, the captain of it is still on, holding the steering wheel, eyes are wide open, didn't, just got baptized, right, and didn't know what happened, and pops back up, and they found out that this tugboat, right? was uh, what they called a ballast in the inside. It had a thick coat of uh, concrete that was placed there, or cement that was placed there, and it keeps the boat upright. It doesn't let it go under. And I love the picture of that. What is unseen, what is deep down inside of us, that will secure us in difficult times. You know, I've uh, had um, part of the work of uh, ministry is um, speaking and helping people in very difficult times, um, losses and hardships. And uh, so the 
late at night phone calls once in a while that'll come in and the visits to the hospital and so on. And I've really seen kind of two reactions along the way. And the one reaction um, is that of bitterness and being despondent and just saying, I can't trust God anymore, I'm done. An almost destructive behavior. Um, but the other side of it is, is I've seen people say, hey, I'm only going to now cling closer to God. And I'm going to go and follow him. And I'm going to ask him to help me. You know, it's in Hebrews uh, 6, 19. It says that uh, it uses this term the, that Christ is the steadfast anchor of the soul. And as we were talking about boats and uh, waves and things, and I thought about this uh, phrase, the anchor of the soul. The anchor is not visible from top. The anchor goes down deep. And the anchor, this device from the boat, will go down and it will hold on. And on top, the boat might be shaken left and right, up and down, but this anchor keeps it in place of where it needs to be. He is the anchor of our soul. So whether you are poor, whether you are rich, or whether you're somewhere in between and you are facing trials and you say, boy, if I could just have more income or money, boy, life would be, no, uh, money makes a horrible anchor. He is the anchor of our souls. And the, the rich person says, boy, if I could just have some, boy, better people around me that could help me, some honesty, no, people come and go, but he's the anchor of our souls and he holds us. Many of you are uh, moms and dads, um, aunts and uncles uh, here. And as you look at the little ones, as you look at your children, maybe some of them who aren't so little anymore, you know, the biggest thing, one of the greatest things we could teach them is to have a faith where they can now go to Christ on their own. You know, when they're little, you're used to solving all of their problems. Right? Me and my two girls, I mean, um, I'm the problem guy, right, usually. Um, and uh, so the sink is not working, the car is not starting, whatever it is, and I'm the problem guy, and I have to go fix it. But one of the things that we really have to do is push them so that they could rely and have Christ as the anchor of their own souls. Because one day, we can't be there for them. One day, we don't have the answers. One day, life might be so overwhelming even for them that it might hurt them and that they need Christ. And you know, um, you know for, for you know, many of us, this has been the need, uh, this has been the struggle in this season and life has not been going the way that I thought it would go and circumstances are out of our hands and what are we going to do and the waves are throwing me left and right and up and down. And yet we hold on to that anchor who is Christ. And so I wrap up with that thought. I, I hope and I pray for us that we will rejoice well, that we will uh, have much faith in him, but also that we will face trials very well. And we will do this. And we will go to God and we will ask him, what should I do? And when we go to God, we'll go with him in a singular faith and say, I will trust you through all of these things because he is the only one who is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. He's the one worthy of our trust. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we face often um, uh, trials, and Lord God, uh, we can all come to a conclusion, all of us here, that life is tough. Life uh, doesn't go the way that we plan always, but we trust in you. You are always there. You are always good. And God, you have all wisdom that we do not. So, Lord, we need to have our thoughts often flipped upside down so we can go and trust in you. So help us, Lord. Help us trust in you. Help us to put our faith in the anchor who is the anchor of our soul, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.